Hey, how you doing? This is Wade with Wade for Wireless. And welcome back for another episode of Wade for Wireless with all your wireless updates, news, and information. Just sit back and relax. Hey, this is Wade back with Wade for Wireless. Wade, W-A-D-E, the number four, wireless.com. And I am your resource for wireless technology, smart tech, business advisement for technology, and pretty much anything. Investors call me too, so knock yourself out. Reach out to me. Anyway, today I want to talk about how do we get more backhaul bandwidth? Because we all know it's all about the backhaul. It's all about the backhaul, people. We need more bandwidth. So anyways, to get the bandwidth, we need pretty good backhaul. So how are we going to get it? How is it going to get there? What are our options? Do we have enough as it is? Well, listen, the fiber providers have done a pretty good job of getting backhaul out there, of getting fiber out there. But the reality is with 5G rolling out, we're going to want more, more, and even more. We're going to need it not only for bandwidth, but we're also going to need it for, say, low latency like the IoT applications. Now, when I get into this, FWA is fixed wireless access. FTTH is fiber to the home. And FTTP is fiber to the premise. But first, I want to thank my sponsors, Tower Tracker Pro. Tower Tracker Pro can be found at towertrackerpro.com. And they are your closeout package software as a service to get it done right in one visit. So in one visit, the tech can use whatever his device is, is the phone, the smartphone, the, uh, an iPad, whatever, walk through everything step by step, answer the questions, take the pictures, you won't miss a thing. And if he does miss something, he can upload it to the cloud and someone in the back office can check the closeout package and make sure that the pictures look good and they have the embedded data that you need. You know, you need all that GPS data. Also, I want to thank Tower Safety and Instruction. They can be found at towersafety.com, towersafety.com. And they are your training solution for any tower company that's out there. They offer a lot of solutions. They can help you with not only the online training, which you have at telltechcollege.com, telltech-college.com, and they can provide online training, but also live training for the actual climbing, the safety, the rigging, the rescue, and so on. And the other thing they have online is drone training, because we all want to know how to use those drones at the tower site. That is becoming critical and key and seems to be a big thing now. It's not as, e as easy as you think, and you'd better know the rules when you go out there. All right, let's talk about backhaul. So the bandwidth for backhaul. First off, when I laid out this blog, I had a couple questions. One, is fiber key? Of course fiber's key. We're gonna we're gonna need it no matter what. Fiber is critical. It's critical and necessary for us to move ahead, especially with 5G. We need to have fiber deployed as many places as possible. Now, I know we're thinking it's all gonna be needed for broadband, but even for IoT, if we want low latency, we're gonna rely on fiber. So it's the foundation to any of our backhaul solutions. Fiber, fiber, fiber. We really need it. So again, critical, the foundation, we need it. The question is, how do we extend it? So first off, before I get into that question, why do we need an alternative? Well, the one thing about fiber is that we might not be able to run it everywhere, at least not cost effectively. So the key is here, we can do it wirelessly or we can do it well wirelessly. That's really the other option, right? We're not gonna run fiber to copper. If we could run copper, we'd run fiber. The alternative is wireless, FWA, fixed wireless access. So what we wanna do is look at that as an option to extend the fiber. The process is a straightforward one. It's where we must plan what we want, how much we want, 
and try to future-proof what we can. Growth needs to be estimated. Anyone who deploys fiber will tell you they could roll out any time. Lead time from the factory could be an issue, depending on what you order and how much. Could be over eight weeks, could be longer. That's not the real delay in rolling out fiber, though. It's not the real problem. The real problem in running fiber in a city is several fold. One, the permitting issue. Two, are you going overhead or do you have to go underground? If you go underground, are you allowed to rip up the road? Do you have to get a permit to rip up the road? Can you go under? Can you bore underneath? There's a lot of issues. And the, the, the permitting takes a long time. And the other one is when you go for your permit, the city may have a dig once policy. Dig once is awesome for the city because they don't want to rip up the streets any more than they have to. For you, if you need fiber in a hurry, it's a problem because you don't know what the dig one schedule is. They may have to reach out to all the other people and lay all the fiber at the same time. You'll be working around other people's schedules and it's going to be a real challenge. That's why I'm bringing it up here because you're really going to have to pay attention to that. People don't realize what a challenge it is to roll out fiber. When they rolled out fiber in the old days, I think they had a, a good plan in place, but now the cities are getting a little frustrated with digging up the streets all the time. And the overhead doesn't always look good. They might not have poles. If it's a city that's planned in advance, you're going to have to go underground. That's just the way it is because they don't want any overhead wires or any more than they already have. So it's going to take a lot of planning and that could be a delay in getting fiber. Now, back to my original question, how do we extend the fiber? That's where we got to get creative, but you know what? We're going to use wireless to do that. Now, before you, I go into wireless, a lot of you are thinking it's a bit crazy, might not be cost effective. Wireless has come a long way and this is where Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile have the vision. They've been working diligently on fixed wireless. They have a lot of spectrum, and the fixed wireless is going to probably be a solution for them, as well as fiber to the enterprise, fiber to the business, fiber to the premise, fiber to the home. That's what they're going to look at. They're going to look at how they can use their spectrum. I have a list of their spectrum. I'll get to that in a few minutes. But the options for the rest of us are not quite so clear. For one, if we're looking at short range, we're going to have to really think about, say, you know, 60, 60 gig, 70 gig, 80 gig, if we want like a gigabit of bandwidth, a gigabit per second. So in the higher areas, we do have the Y gig spectrum. I'll get into that in a minute. But the spectrum, I just, the reason I pointed that out, it's not just for the carriers. It isn't like the carriers have locked up all this spectrum. There is spectrum for us to use. There's radios for us to use. Talk to the OEM, see what's out there. If you want a gigabit link, there are options depending upon the distance you want to go. I just bring up a few options here, but it is a great way for us to extend the fiber. And that's what we have to look at. We have to not only look at what the carriers paid for, but what's available to the rest of us. Okay. The radios cost less than they ever did. The deployments are getting easier. You don't have as much engineering. That's good and bad. For the vendors and the OEMs, it's sort of bad because if anyone can do it, why do they need them? They just want to buy the equipment and put it in. If they have problems, that's another story. So who can do this? Let me tell you it's something. Anyone can put in a wireless link. I've done it several times. Years ago, that was my core business. And that was before anyone could do it. That's when you had to add the engineering. We had lightly licensed. You had a lot of different things, fully licensed. But it, it's physical work, but it can be done. If someone has uh, the know-how, the wherewithal to put in a wireless link, you'll be set. I would recommend a professional if you're listening to this, but you can do what you want. If you guys think you can do it yourself, God bless. <laughs> so fiber, on the other hand, it is a necessity. You're going to need a fiber drop somewhere. Even if you have eight microwave links, somewhere you're going to need a fiber drop or eight wireless links, I should say now, because microwave, when you think of microwave, generally you think of point to point, but now 
A lot of the uh, microwave out there for broadband is point to multipoint. So that's something we got to look at. But anyway, we're still going to need fiber somewhere. Fiber is deemed valuable. We need it, okay? You're going to pay for it monthly. You're going to pay for it uh, like it's an OPEX and a CAPEX to put it in. But the carriers are getting around running fiber everywhere. And uh, it, they're using UE backhauls, what they're using now. And a good example of that is Sprint. I also have a link in there. If you go to wadeforwireless.com, wade, W-A-D-E, the number four wireless.com, and search for what is LTE UE backhaul, you'll find the blog on it because that's the name of the blog. What is LTE UE backhaul? UE's user equipment. So what they did, as you know, Sprint has a ton of 2.5 gigahertz spectrum. So they started using that for backhaul. And I think it was a great idea. They use it for their magic box. And then, you know, they can backhaul in that. And then as their forward link, they can use their other spectrum. But the key is with this, they tried to do their whole mobility deployment with that. Mobility, what their deployment was to go with mobility was to put poles everywhere. And they only had to run power to the poles. The plan was to use UE backhaul and as a backhaul, you know, uh, back to another cell site. And then they would concentrate their other spectrum as a forward link to that particular area. I think it it's a great idea. Let me start by saying that. That is a great idea. It's very cheap, very cost effective, very quick, or so they thought it would be. The thing they overlooked, they thought they could get by the permitting process, which I guess they did in some areas. They thought they could push things through quickly and easily. I guess they did in some areas, but let's face it, uh, mobility is not exactly well-liked in a lot of towns, townships and cities. I think they meant well, but it just seemed to backfire on them. They seemed to want to try to push things through. So the reason I'm saying that, when you do a deployment, there's more to it than just planning out the backhaul and the equipment. You really have to think of site acquisition. Site acquisition is key. It's expensive, but it needs to be done. It's just a necessary evil. The cities want it because they want to know that you're coming in. They want to make sure the permits are pulled. They want to make sure that everything's done right. It's just the way it's going to be. I wish I had a better way, better, something better to tell you. That's the way it is. I haven't found a way around it yet. So while the backhaul is cutting edge, the UE is cutting edge, you really got to look at what they're trying to do here. They're trying to get something deployed very quickly. Now, something to think about with UE backhaul, it could be a good alternative to running fiber somewhere while you're waiting on fiber. There may be a long lead time for fiber. There may not be a way to get it there quickly and easily, or maybe you're just waiting until you can get fiber to your other microwave link. The problem with 60, 70, and 80 gigahertz, or even this 24 gigahertz, it's pretty much line of sight right now. It's not completely line of sight, but it's close. So you got to think about that when you're planning this out. The other thing you have to think about is your location, where you're going to put your wireless link. See, the beauty of a lot of the cell sites and macro sites is if you use UE backhaul, it penetrates really well, and you may be able to get it to like 10 or more sites. If you have like what the carriers have, they have a lot of spectrum. I'll get into that in a minute. If they start using their millimeter wave as backhaul, and they have a site that they can reach 10 other sites, whether they be macro, mini, or small cells, and they can get a gigabit per second there, life is good. That's going to free up CapEx and OpEx money for other things, especially if they can expand it and it's future-proof. That's when you really see the savings and the growth come into play. So I just want you to think about that. Uh, I have a list here. I'm just going to read it. It's about the wireless spectrum that we have here in the States. Like Verizon has over 100 megahertz of 28 gigahertz and 39 gigahertz spectrum. 
AT&T has over 100 megahertz in the 28 gigahertz and the 39 gigahertz spectrum. So there you have the two carriers have a lot of spectrum. Is it obvious? T-Mobile, and I, I really didn't know they had this much, but T-Mobile has 78 megahertz in the 28 gigahertz spectrum. So there you have three carriers with a lot of spectrum, okay? Uh, Sprint has 200 megahertz in the 14.5 to 15.35 gigahertz spectrum. Listen, I don't know what they're doing with that. 200 megahertz would be sweet to add to their 100 megahertz to 2.5 gigahertz, but what do I know? I mean, if you know what they're doing, email me, wadeforwireless at gmail.com, or get me on Twitter, wadeforwireless, W-E-D-E, the number four wireless. And last but not least, U.S. Cellular has 10 megahertz in the 28 gigahertz band. I'm just pointing that out to show you they have plenty of spectrum. And the spectrum, well, they could use it for fiber to the home and fiber to the premises, sort of like a wireless fiber, you know, just put a device out there and they won't have to dig up and they won't have to put out all the cost to run fiber anywhere except to the one location where they have this uh, spectrum, where they have a, a BTS there, a transmitter. That's the way I see it, and I see them saving a lot of money doing that, and I do see them using it for their own systems, not just for other people. Something people ask, too, I was bringing up earlier about the um, what choices you have if you're not a carrier. Well, you have Ygig. It's on licensed Spectrum in the ISM band, and the FCC just recently released another another 7 gigahertz of Spectrum from 64 gigahertz to 71 gigahertz extending the seven, the 60 gigahertz band. So it's 802.11 AD broadband, which we'll call Ygig. That's what they call it. I don't call it that. But it, I mean, I do call it that because they call it that. <laughs> Sorry. Before we uh, before there was just 57 to 64 gigahertz spectrum. So you had seven gigahertz to play with. I mean, it, that's really nice that you have all that spectrum. And now they added another 7 gigahertz. So now we have up to 14 gigahertz of spectrum to play with. I'm not sure how that's going to play out, but I think it's pretty cool they did it. And I know I know the other spectrum worked just fine for very short hauls, you know, but you could get a gigabit per second through it easy. So now they're going to push that. So if you're interested in learning more about that, about Ygig, uh, there's a cool little, what would you say, IEEE tutorial article at uh, radio-electronics.com and just get on there and just search 802-11ad-microwave. It'll be in there. Plus, I have the link in my blog. It's just easier to go to my blog and click on the link, okay? I'm just saying. So to be honest with you, this sounds cool. I'm trying to relate how it's going to relate to the real world. I do see it as a, as a pretty cool option, something cheap, cost-effective for anybody, but there's a lot of physical limitations. When I ran out 60 gig before, I, I put in a few links. You're limited by distance. Obviously, it's a very short link. And you're also limited by weather. Weather could be an issue, heavy downpours. And so at least I felt that way. I, I don't know. You do see bit errors. So there's a lot of limitations, but it works. So now if you have 14 gigahertz of spectrum, who knows what bandwidth? I mean, I don't know off the top of my head what bandwidth. I know you can easily get a gig link through there. 14 gigahertz? Man, if you can open up all that spectrum, I imagine you get 50 gigabit per second link through there, hypothetically. You'll have to talk to your OEM to see what they can really do or your vendor or whatever. Now, the other thing I'm always such a fan of is CBRS. I got to tell you, CBRS, as far as a backhaul, if you need broadband, I really don't see it as a viable option. I see it more as a front haul, the last mile to a device, to a UE. So I'm really looking forward to that when they put that in every device. I'm just saying it's 
it's a viable option, but it won't have the bandwidth that these other options do that I was bringing up. So if you're looking at the CBRS as a backhaul solution, I think you're going to be limited unless you're the carriers and they give the carriers a lot. Now, with that said, not everything's laid out there yet. We're still waiting on the FCC to release that. So now let's get back to the backhaul issue. I went over the spectrum, went over fixed wireless access, went over what you can do, what the carriers can do. So how do we plan backhaul? So this is tricky. Uh, the carriers know that they must plan it carefully. So let's let's look at what the carriers do. First off, uh, what's the site need based off population and usage projections? You really have to make some projections here. You could be wrong. You don't want to guess too low because then you have customers complaining. You don't want to guess too high because then your CapEx and your OpEx is screwed up. Why spend more money than you have to? You want to get it as close as possible. I always err on the high side because, you know, it, you always assume the site's going to grow, right? You're going to have more users, more and more daily. That's how I look at it. But you may want to look at budget and estimate a little low and figure if someone has a slow download, tough. They can live with it. So the other thing to look at, is this site going to feed other sites? If it's going to be a feeder site, then you got to think not only of this site, but all the other sites. One more thing, is fiber accessible to this site? You would be surprised how many times you cannot get fiber to a site. It's a real problem. It's not like just because you say, I need fiber, that fiber is there, or that it can get there easily and cost effectively. So I think you should really look at your options there. There's a balance between what you can do and what you will do and what's cost effective. The cost effectiveness plays a big part. So if there are feeder sites and the site, when I say a feeder site, I mean the site that's being fed off the main site, what are their usage projections? You know, go downstream and then work your way backwards. You just want to plan all you can. So the wireless site, again, if wireless is an option, the wireless could be front haul or back haul. Like, for instance, you may run fiber to a site and then use it as front haul is what I would say. But you would use it as to connect five or six other sites up wirelessly. You got to really think of that. What's available to site? Is it a tower site? Is it a rooftop? Do you have lease problems? Like, in other words, are you going to be able to get the lease amended to add five or six more, whatever you're going to add, dishes or whatever, you know, or panels or whatever it's going to be there. You really got to look at it holistically. So, you know, it's not so bad. I mean, some simple projections will suffice. I think your team knows what's going on. They know where you're going to need it, not need it. So rely on your team. You have a lot of feedback there. So how do we make it as future-proof as we possibly can? Again, I have another checklist here. What's the expected growth? You're just going to have to take a shot on this one because you want to plan ahead. Uh, what's our budget for this site? Look at the OPEX and the CAPEX. CAPEX, that's your one-time shot spend, and OPEX is what it's going to cost monthly. You probably have a budget for every site or group of sites, and it's probably going to change based on where they're at. Like, obviously, urban sites probably have a, a higher demand. How much fiber is available, really? Like, if you get fiber to the site, are there going to be extra strands there? Is a fiber provider going to be able to service you with more bandwidth, more spectrum, more fiber? It's something to think about and ask about up front. If wireless, do we have the height, the mounting space, or rental agreements? If you're doing wireless, all that matters. Also, what would be the site acquisition fees? That's something to uh, think about. If the site acquisition is very expensive, you might want to do it all up front and cluster it and then plan for it in advance. So when you're considering this, consider it during the installation. 
Also, can the lease be modified to add more equipment? If you don't want to pay for all that space up front, put an option in there for you to be allowed to add more equipment. And I'm sure that the landlord will come back and say if it's available. So you're taking a chance there. By the way, can the fiber provider give you another strand or two if needed? I'm just saying it's something to think about. If the fiber provider says there's plenty of strands there, you're good. But if they're already, if you put your stuff in and they say there's no more available fiber there, you better be thinking ahead if you're thinking about growth because it's not going to happen quickly or easily unless the fiber provider planned for it. I'm just saying it's something you want to think about and it's a good question to ask your fiber provider. So it takes some planning to do this right. And as usual, planning is essential. Not everyone does it right, but it's something to think about. Now, looking at the big picture, if you're doing a mass deployment, it's going to be very hard to plan this stuff down to the site level. So you're going to have to set up some rules for each one. You're talking about a large group of site. You're talking about making everything as cookie cutter as possible. And you want to be prepared, whether you use an FWA or FTTP. You want to be prepared for either one. So I put together some questions for you. Just some quick questions that I think that could be answered quickly in site acquisition. Can fiber be run overhead or underground? Does it have to be underground? A lot of places it's underground only. It's something to think about. And it changes your cost model. It changes the speed to deployment. Can we get through the permitting process quickly? Some places you can for fiber. Some places you can't. Is there a dig once policy? If so... What is the lead time for the next dig? It's a very important question to ask. A lot of cities have a dig once policy, and I get it. They don't want to rip up the streets every month because someone's running fiber. So find out what the lead time is for the next dig. Is there room at the site for another dish slash antenna for wireless access? That's a big issue people overlook. They go in these sites, and the sites fill up, or they're already full, and they were lucky to get space, and then they can't put anything else on the tower or on the rooftop. Seriously, it's a real problem. So think about that ahead of time. Look at what's out there. If FWA is there a line of sight to the other location, you're going to want the clearest line of sight you can possibly get depending upon the spectrum you're going to use just so you can get the best backhaul you can. That's what I'm saying. Now, if it is FWA, you have UE as an option. That's something that Sprint proved works. I don't know how well it works. I mean, I don't hear much about it anymore. But if you have a UE option, you have a good chance of putting stuff up almost anywhere where you have a macro site nearby. It really works out well. So so there you go, another high-level plan and a checklist. I have plenty of links in there. Look under the resources section of this blog and you'll see it. If you want to reach out to me, Twitter, Wade4Wireless. Email Wade4Wireless at gmail.com. LinkedIn, just go to LinkedIn.com and look for Wade Sarver. And Facebook, again, Wade4Wireless. I have all the links in the blog, www.wade, W-A-D-E, the number four, wireless, W-I-R-L-E-S-S dot com. So again, wireless, smart tech, there's your call to action. And if you want to see these in reports, I'm putting reports together, soon to be available in PDF, and I'll probably put another book out on Amazon. I'm just trying to get this together to help you guys move ahead with deployment and learn something quickly. It takes a lot of time to learn this stuff, you know, and there's a lot of options. So maybe these reports will help you. Also, a lot of the investors want to see this information to know how to plan out. They're investing for the tower sites and they want to know how the rent's going to go. And the tower owners, let's face it, they're really smart. They're going to look at what they can do to maximize the, every dollar they can get in a tower or rooftop. Hey, 
I just want to say thank you. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your hard work. I appreciate anyone. I appreciate anyone, anyone who works in this business. Thank you. Be smart, be safe, and pay attention. See ya. folks, it's available, the 5G Deployment Plan. That's right, the 5G Deployment Plan Handbook. I have the ebook out there for you, an Amazon paperback, a full color 8.5 by 11 inch version, the Amazon Kindle version, the full PDF on Cellfi, and the full PDF on Gumroad. It's all about the 5G deployment. Go to wade4wireless.com and look for 5G Deployment Plan. It's in there just for you.